Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and it is my honor to be joined today by David Gingerella, Vice Chancellor of Administration and Finance and CFO at UMass Dartmouth. Welcome, David. Thanks, Megan. Glad to be here. Well, it's been nearly a year since all of the COVID shutdowns happened in the U.S. So, David, if you could go back to this time last year and teach yourself one thing, what would it be? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think the I, I would have to say that I can't predict the future. That um, <laughs> you have to be ready for change and be able to to be able to adapt very quickly. Uh, it's very different than you know what we're used to. Uh, when I say we, the CBOs and, and the people in the finance department, you know we're so used to doing you know budgets that we then compare out the actuals, uh, two year, three year, five year plans, especially with capital plans. You know you go out with five year plans, and and that just hasn't been the case you know, in the current situation that we're in. Uh, we've put together multiple budgets uh, because things have been so fluid. Uh, the fact that we had uh, students go off on spring break and then uh, not come back onto campus and then uh, have to deal with the uh, the fact of, of rebating um, room and board charges, trying to go directly remote. Um, IT works directly uh, with me under my team. And so working with my IT team and with the provost's office to make sure that the faculty and students were prepared to do that uh, was just a, a major undertaking. And then, you know, the hope that we would be somewhat normal back in the fall and uh, but budgeting in a way that gave us some options about whether or not we would be uh, uh, on campus, off campus. We ended up having a little bit of a um, hybrid model where we had. Uh, students that didn't have other options on uh, where they could live living on campus, but it was a small percentage of what our residence halls would be. Uh, we also uh, had remote classes for the most part, but uh, our lab classes we needed to have on campus. And so there was a whole protocol that we had to do as far as um, making sure that uh, the classrooms were all sanitized and and all kinds of things. So um, I, I do think that, that if anything... And looking back on it, I think that being prepared for change and um, getting out of my normal comfort zone, because as a CBO, uh, you'd like to think that, you know, no surprises is the best thing for your president, chancellor or or the leadership team, that you try to show them some stability. And and this just hasn't been a year for stability. Things have changed pretty drastically. Uh, We've tried to adapt to them. Um, I'm very fortunate that the institution that I'm at has been able to stay on on solid financial ground but you know speaking with some of my peers and some of the people that may be watching this um they're facing some real challenges right now because of uh of the changes that happened that uh that nobody could have predicted and so um, we're trying to adapt to that and and i i think that my peers you know would we're talking on a regular basis and we're all trying to work through this together 
Don't you wish you could have had like a fortune cookie? Like, I don't know, February 27th of 2020 that said like, watch out, major change coming. Just something yeah. to just kind of give you a heads up. Like, yeah. get ready because something big's about to happen. I know. I know. I would have appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would have believed it, though. I mean, I right. you're right. I, okay. Fortune cookie might not have been the best. <laughs> yeah. It would have been great for somebody to give me some kind of um, or, or all of us to give us some kind of insight. But but this was this is just something unprecedented. And, you know, I'm more concerned, I think, about the future than getting through this current scenario we're in. I'm just not quite sure what we're going to look like when we when we get back to normal, if we get back to normal well, when we get back to normal. And, and what I mean by that is that I can certainly tell you that, you know, we're up in the northeast and um, we, we have snow on a regular basis. And so we have snow days and, and we prepare for that. I don't think we'll ever see a snow day again. I know. Uh, I That's think a we'll little depressing a, for the yeah, students. But we'll see a remote day. And so what will happen is, you know, we have snow. In fact, we got snow predicted in, uh, coming up in the next couple of days. And we're not talking about whether or not we close campus. We're talking about whether or not we're going to go totally remote and have the staff working all from home. So it's going to be a different world. Yeah, for sure. Well, in the last couple of months alone, David, can you think of a noticeable way that you've changed the way that you lead as a CBO due to all of the whole laundry list of the things that you just shared with us that have had to change over the past year? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is um, is being connected. Like we're connected right now online and meeting with my staff um, and, and my peers. Uh, we have a new chancellor and meeting with him and trying to bring everybody up to speed. It, uh, I make sure that I'm on campus one day a week, each one of the uh, the vice chancellors. I'll make sure that we're on campus once a week to to have leadership. But there's really um, not a lot of people, you know, currently on campus, again, with a remote. And so I, I th- what's changed a lot for me is uh, is my interaction with my staff and, and also trying to convey to them that there's more than work to do. Uh, uh, too often, I think people are starting their day at 8 o'clock and getting their day done at, at 5 or 6 o'clock and never getting out of their chair. I know it's happening to me. Um, you know, I miss, I, I, I'm in this business because, um, I love working with faculty and amazing people that we get to deal with, uh, to see the fantastic uh, changes in students from freshmen to their senior years. And the fact is, is that we don't get to see that right now. I'm sure that the faculty, you know, you're a little envious of them because they are seeing our students and seeing them develop. But for those of us that are on a little bit of the outside, it's been a little tough. I'm, uh, I did get asked to be the, um, uh, the uh, faculty advisor or the advisor to our graduate student senate. And that's kept me connected. And it's let me get a real good chance to be able to know what some of the graduate students are going through. But I do miss um, the interaction with our, our students and the faculty on a regular basis. So when it comes to your leadership style and having to do things remotely over the computer and you know, trying to mitigate that, like sitting in the chair all day thing. Have you had to make any changes? You know, when you talk about like making sure you're bringing that up with your staff, like how, how have you seen yourself change as a leader um, due to this whole situation? It's hard to understand where people are as you're doing it remotely. You're not seeing them. It's not like you're popping into someone's office or you're in a staff meeting and you can call that. I, I like to say that uh, when I work with my staff, I like a, a little bit of a bullpen effect. I like the, my office and 
my direct report somewhere close by so that we can all talk on a regular basis. And a lot of times it would be spontaneous. It would just be, you know, this has come up. Let's all get together and let's talk about it. And now it's much more planned. I mean, I, I have regular meetings with everyone, but they're, they're, it's much more structured. And that, that's not as personable as, as I would like it to be. Um, I, I do think that, uh, um, you know, part of what we do is to uh, not only help with the university and help with the students, but it helps us grow as well as individuals and as we work. And And I have a fantastic staff. I have uh, people that I really care about. And, you know, I mean, just the holidays, you weren't even able to, to you know, get together and, and have any kind of, uh, uh, you know, best wishes kind of a thing. So it's I think that's how it's changed me as a leader is that, that I'm more structured and I don't like it. Um, I, I wish I could be a little bit more spontaneous, but I also respect the fact that, uh, I can't just walk into someone's office and just pop onto it and say, can you jump on a zoom right now? Because they may have other things going on. So you've had to become a little bit more intentionally planned to make sure you're checking up on people, whereas you might've popped into their office in the past. And now you're, you know, having to say yeah. like, Hey, have you left your desk today? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I, and I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know if it's, it's like meant to say that we're checking up on them. It's more. Of, oh no, 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 I don't. I don't mean no, that in I get a negative it, way. But, Just like a, no, how and you I know. <laughs> but right, that's the whole thing about how you're doing. And by the way, you know, it, it's it is how you're doing. Um, because it, it's hard. Um, you know, we do a lot of spreadsheets. It's a, a lot of number stuff. Uh, uh, we uh, it, it, it we have to you know, be open and transparent. It's very, very difficult to be transparent with the rest of the university when you're not there, when you're not seeing people on a regular basis. And so, you know, what you don't want people thinking is, you know, this is the Wizard of Oz and somebody behind a curtain is doing all of these kind of things with a budget that they don't get to understand. And and we've made so many, many major changes and, and so many people have made such large sacrifices. We've been real fortunate in the fact that uh, we did not have to uh, uh, permanently lay off any of our, our staff, but that was done because um, all the staff that work with us in the faculty all voted to take a um, voluntary pay cut. And so the, the offside to that was that we were able to make sure that everybody knew that there wouldn't be any layoffs or permanent furloughs. The negative part of that is people working harder and getting paid less. And and so, you know, it's hard to to keep people motivated for that. Although, again, I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I have uh, individuals that work with me that have continued to really uh, strive. But uh, I'd also, you know, I'd like to be able to give them some mentoring and uh, and help them professionally develop. And I think that's been one of the other things that, uh, that's that been really hard. The fact that, you know, the Nakubo meetings and the Ikubo meetings and the region have all been canceled uh, or have done virtual. And the virtual meetings are fine. I think you get the content, but but you go to the meetings to to see people, to talk about what's going on, to meet people. And, you know, I'm such a big fan of Nakubo. I think it's uh, it's one of the best organizations I've ever been a member of. But, but the reason for that is I've been able to go, you know, and, and, you know, once a year, go catch up with friends from around the country and see what's going on with them. It's not happening now. So from that point, it's hard. And I think it's hard for other people as well. I would agree with that. Well, you were just talking about your concern for the future. So when I ask you a question about the future with, you know, keeping in mind what you were talking about, um, how do you think 
your current generation of CBOs can best develop the next generation of higher education leadership, given everything that you've been through for the past year, given a growing desire to diversify the field? Can you speak to future leadership and and what you think needs to happen, ideally, in a perfect world? Yeah, I I think that that we have such a unique opportunity because we see um, these the young men and young uh, men and women uh, as they're coming through and uh, going through their education that uh, we can identify some of them that may re- actually be very good candidates for this going forward. So uh, I can tell you that that's how I got back involved in this. I actually worked um, when I first came out of college in the, I call it the, the private sector, uh, you know, for a company. And, um, I, I was able to meet up with the executive vice president of the school that I went to. And he was asking me what I was up to. And um, after a short conversation, he said, you know, you were such an active student and you were so involved in so many things. Have you ever thought about going back into higher education and an administrative role? And, and I really hadn't, but um, it made me think. And then there was an opportunity uh, at the school to to be able to think about going back. And uh, it was the bursar's position. And I remember when I went to school that, I hated going to the bursar's office because if they ever called you, they wanted to talk to you about the bill that you didn't have paid. And so I said, you know what? Maybe I can make a difference if I could do this. And I went through the whole search. It wasn't like they gave me a, a thing, but I, I was I applied for it and did that and then ended up teaching. But part of it meant that someone reached out to me and saw me and said, you know what? You have some potential. Have you thought about doing this? Well, we have students on our campus every day. and And if we interact with them and uh, it doesn't have to necessarily just be through internships, although internships would be relatively a good way to do it. But if we see someone that um, we think is is motivated to want to do the work that we do, uh, I think it's a great opportunity to ask them to consider, hey, when you get done, think about coming back. It doesn't have to be immediate. I think the other thing that we can do is through um, our alumni associations. And when you go to those meetings, I try to go as often as I can and meet with our alumni and and try to react and uh, interact with them. But if you see somebody that is telling you that they missed the university or they missed their time on campus, uh, the opportunity is to say, well, have you thought about maybe coming back? And, you know, most of the, well, each one of the institutions I've been part of have a business school. And so uh, talking to the business dean, talking to some of the individuals there that say, do you have somebody that we think, you know, might be able to help? That's how I've tried to do it. I- I've had an opportunity to mentor an, uh, a real number of people and, and not to age myself, but, um, you know, a number of the people that I worked with specifically when I was at Yale, because it was a large organization, I was able to find talented people and, and convince them that working in a business office might be a great idea. A number of them took me up on it. And uh, today, uh, a number of them are now senior people in roles that require them to uh, take on a, a considerable amount of responsibility. And I think it's all because you know, they were seen. They saw this as a different than just somebody sitting, you know, up in their office with a green eye shade. You know, county numbers. I don't see the CBO doing that. I don't see the CFO doing that. If if you you got to get out of your office, you got to uh, attend events. You want to. That's why we do this. Uh, otherwise, you could work for any Fortune 500 company and and do the same thing. But the higher education is such a unique opportunity for people that want to deal with people. So that's how I would do it. And I do think diversity is a critical aspect of what we're talking about uh, in the fact that uh, as our student bodies get more and more diverse, 
uh, the individuals that they uh, interact with on a regular basis need to be more diverse as well, specifically in those areas that touch students, you know, financial aid, bursar's office, registrar's office, um, you know, student affairs, places where uh, it's important that students feel comfortable and they feel respected and that they feel that uh, that we understand that we, we, the education we're giving them is not just in the classroom, but it's in this whole, you know, world that we have developed for them. Um, and we're hoping they come back to that. I think that uh, what I feel so bad for is these uh, students that were in their junior year a year ago that lost their half of their junior year and their whole senior year that that don't get that final opportunity to, to solidify their friends and and talk about their careers and do some of the internships or do it a semester abroad. It's just been real hard that way. It sounds like um, your way of identifying leaders is to just have it constantly on your brain and constantly be looking for students yeah. that you can tap into. I think that's a really great approach. Yeah, I think that um, I, I, it's it's it, it, it's students. It's it's even. Um, I, I just think that you can go to different areas and see someone. Just because someone's working in the registrar's office doesn't mean they wouldn't be a great asset in the in the bursar's office or uh, somebody that is is working in student affairs. Uh, wouldn't be a great person to work in a budget office over in the uh, in the provost office. It's just we have so many opportunities. The business that we're in is so uh, deserve, diversified by itself. I mean, we run a hotel chain with the residence halls. We run food chains with the dining facilities. We we have um, we have facilities operations. We, there's you know teaching operations. There's just so much opportunity that. Uh, yeah, identify talent and then try to convince that talent to stay with us. All right. My favorite question and the final question of the show, I'm going to challenge you, David, to think back on your career and tell our listeners about a time that you consider to be your most fabulous failure. Nobody likes that term. Let's just call it a lesson learned the hard way. <laughs> um, so maybe something with hindsight, you and tw- being 2020, you might have done a little bit differently. Can you think of anything? to share? Yeah, I guess my biggest one was um, I decided uh, for some reason I'd make a great congressman. And um, wow. back in my in my day, I uh, put my family and my friends through uh, a little bit when I decided to run for Congress and and found out uh, that uh, I wasn't, I, I might be a good politician, I don't know in the way of communicating, but I wasn't a great fundraiser. I, I found it very, very <laughs> difficult to ask people for money to go out to lunch and say, uh, by the way, uh, can you pick up the lunch tab and can you write me a check for $500? So um, it didn't work out the way that I had hoped or what I thought it would be. But um, that was the time that I met up with the person I talked to earlier that really kind of got me back on track to go to university. Um, he was uh, he was at what was a fundraising, a friend-raising event. And uh, his name was Bob McKenna, and uh, he was the executive vice president of the school I went to. And he said, uh, so what are you going to do after the election? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to Washington. And he started laughing. He said, no, really? I said, no, I think he says, no, I don't know. <laughs> if it doesn't work out. And that was when he had the conversation with me about thinking about going back. And and and, um, and that really changed my life. It really moved moved me to, to be able to do this. Um, and uh, it, it's been the, the best thing that happened to me. So while it's a little embarrassing not to have won an election, um, and and it does, you know, give you a little bit of a um, 
put you, it, it, it addresses your ego a little bit. Say, mm. well, you know, maybe you're not as popular as you'd like to think you'd be. <laughs> uh, it really ended up being a um, a wonderful opportunity for me to to really look at myself and say, where do I want to go with my life? And and it's been a great run. It's been a great ride, and uh, I wouldn't change a thing. I feel like that could be a great session for Nakubo in the future. What I learned by not making it into political office. <laughs> that, that has helped me as a CBO. I mean, it have to be a catchier title than that, but uh, that I, is uh, fantastic, David. <laughs> no, thanks, Megan. I mean, it's, it's, it's fell from the heart. I can tell you again, uh, uh, I have, I am the most fortunate person in the world. I, uh, I, I married the, uh, my high school sweetheart. We've been together, um, you know, for more years than we want to be able to count, but through this <laughs> pandemic, she's, uh, she continues to be my best friend Aww. and, um, and talking to my kids. And I think that that's what everybody has to have. And, and like I said, Bob McKenna, uh, when I worked, you know, when I was a student at school, he remembered enough to say, you know, I think that, you know, you could, you could do better or you could do something different. And he was right. And I've tried to do that same thing going forward with people that I've worked with. That's amazing. Well, David, thank you so much for sharing just a few of your insights and experience with our listeners today. Absolutely delighted, Megan. Thank you so much. And I'll tell everybody, go to Kubo. Anybody that's listening that hasn't had an opportunity to take advantage of the terrific opportunities that the Kubo has, let me tell you, it's it, as I said earlier, it's, it's probably one of, if not the best organization I've been a member of. Oh, thank you, David. You can learn more about David and today's podcast episode by visiting the professional development section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. Also be sure to check out Nakubo's State of Higher Education series. It includes briefs, customizable slide decks, and data on the current higher education landscape. These resources are specially designed to facilitate discussions around the value of higher education through a COVID-19 lens, the need to address racial disparities in U.S. higher education, and more. To see what's available, visit nakubo.org, click resources, and then click State of Higher Education under Advocacy.